Well, let's continue our journey in Revelation chapter 2, chapters 2 and 3 actually, the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we're over at the uh, fourth one here in chapter 2, verses 18 uh, to the uh, end of the chapter, 29. The fourth church is in uh, Thyatira. And uh, let's, let's see, now we've gone from Ephesus, which is sort of down here, coastal, then Smyrna's a little this way, not too far from the coast, but a little bit further. And then we had uh, Pergamus, which is even further inland. And now Thyatira, which is southeast of Pergamus, like that. So we've gone around like this, and all this area, Asia Minor, is what is now termed modern Turkey, Western Turkey. It's all on the western side of Turkey. Churches are no longer there, but Western Turkey obviously is. That's where Asia Minor was at the time of the writing. One other thing about uh, going through uh, sections of, of books or Entire books, I've done both, and sometimes I've just spread myself out throughout the scripture. But uh, there are a couple of reasons why ministers and uh, preach uh, series. When Calvin did that, he preached through, just went from verse to verse to verse. It's easier to do it. You have your sermon, and everybody else knows what the sermon's subject is going to be next, because it just follows the prescription of the chapter and verses of scripture. Mm. Uh, But the other reason why pastors and ministers preach through through books of the Bible or sections of books of the Bible, as I'm doing here in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, as I've done before in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I've also preached through entire books in Jonah and Ecclesiastes and others as well. I I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel, and so on and so forth. The reason why uh, I do it uh, is, uh, well, Calvin showed me how. Uh, It is a an easier way to get your lesson plan for for months, if not years, just going verse by verse by verse. But it also gives you no way out. And what I mean by that is that when you go through entire books of the Bible or chapters of the Bible, you are bound to hit subject matter the Bible speaks of, but you do not want to address. You're not comfortable preaching that particular text or that particular instruction from the Bible. But going through books of the Bible and going verse to verse to verse, well, you're bound to hit up with, with subject matter that's uncomfortable. This is one of them for me. Hear God's word from Revelation chapter 2, beginning verse 18 in the... Uh, <coughs> This is the word of God. And unto the angel of the church in 
Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who has his eye like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience. And thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest, or allows, that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which we have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. By the way, that's a quote from Psalm 2. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. May God bless this portion of his word to our hearts. Once again, Lord Jesus, here before you, the presence of you, would that more would hear your word and receive it with full heart and full intent of mind, purpose of life, as we do. But we are here, and we pray thee, Heavenly Father, we know that you are here, that you will bless us through your word heard, read, and preached upon. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are certain things we need to, to do here. And I have kind of outlined four points, uh, the strengths and the weaknesses of this congregation. For all congregations, all churches, we like to say no church is perfect. But, but that is almost an easy way out for us not to identify what's not perfect. 
about our church. And here we see a church that's not perfect, but identified. The Lord doesn't fool around. See, the Lord doesn't mix words or mince them or euphemize. Although sometimes he does say they fell asleep, meaning they died. It was that. But when it comes to this idea that we evangelicals and we were even in the reformed communities have, well, I'm not perfect, she's not perfect, he's not perfect, we are not perfect, it's a cop-out. In a way. What do you mean you're not perfect? What are you doing? What are you thinking? What's wrong with it? Well, here we identify what's wrong with this particular church. It's strengths. It has strengths. And you see, that's the thing we need to remember. It has strengths, but it also has weaknesses. And both these things need to be identified. Not just emphasis on the weaknesses. Forget about the strengths. Don't say anything good about the church. Let's just talk about the bad things so we can correct them. And that would be forever because you go, there's always going to be something bad. There's always going to be something wrong. So you need to talk about the strengths as well as the weaknesses. So I want to do that. Uh, I also want to talk about the immorality. And this is the part that I don't want to say. I don't want to talk about it. Because obviously Jezebel, who was a a harlot in the Old Testament. First Kings, Second Kings speaks about her. She brought harlotry and prostitution into the temple and all that stuff. This is what's going on there. Sexual immorality, fornication. There's no reason to spiritualize it. It is true that when we worship idols, that is a spiritual fornication. When we worship other things, when we choose other things before Christ... That's a spiritual fornication. But this is also talking about orgies. I don't like to say that. I think that people get upset about that. Up to a point, I can do it. But after a point, I get upset. And uh, I think it could be offensive. However, it's in the Word of God, and we can't get around it unless we lie, unless we fudge, unless we spiritualize everything. And there's a case for for spiritual meaning here, but it's not just that. Because of the history, because of what we know about Thyatira, because of what we know about the guilds of Thyatira, and the people that had the craftsmen, it was a, a city that specialized in, in textiles and in metal. Lydia was from Thyatira. She dealt with fine purple garments. But all the people that worked in these textile industries and this, uh, the metal uh, industry had to be part of a guild, much more powerful than the unions we think of today. These guilds had uh, a religious aspect to them. They had uh, an idol, God, to worship. They also believed that Caesar is the son of God. 
And we, we read, for example, in, uh, in verse 18, And unto the, church, uh, the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, the only mention in the entire book of Revelation that appellation is given. The Son of God. Why did he say that? Because of the Caesar claim. That Caesar called himself, that Caesar claimed to be the only Son of God. And they worship Caesar in these places and in these guilds, along with their other idol gods. And they performed sexual acts. in devotion to their gods. So I want to talk about a little bit more about that. And then also, uh, just, just the caution, the beware. Beware. Young people, beware. Older people, beware. Beware of the examples that you allow your children to get away with or to, or to bring before their eyes and ears at home or in your conversations or wherever. Beware. And then finally, the judgment and the, the blessing. The morning star blessing. What's that mean? The morning star. Give them the morning star. Okay, <clears throat> as I said, and this is mentioned by others I have read, articles I've read, and commentaries that I've read, preparing for these sermons. It's so much fun. It's, it's so uh, edifying to uh, prepare a lesson for the people of God. Because you've you got to be right about this. I mean, when conversations that you have... Of course, one for another. You can be a little loose, a little lax, but when you speak to the people of God, teaching them from the Word of God, the truth, or preaching, you have to be very careful. And it's so enriching to learn what this is actually saying. What it's really saying. God, really? See, now we know, we understand, and I've already mentioned this when I started our journey through these uh, Asia Minor here, uh, going from one church to the next, that these seven churches, the number seven is a fulfillment number, a fullness number, and it represents the state of the church in the world at that time, but it also represents the state of the church in the world at any time, in any age. Sometimes more, one church will represent more the state in a particular region of the world than in another. But the, the church is represented in the world, the church is represented by these seven churches in every age. So here's another representation. Much like Pergamon, what's Thyatira? The sins were similar <clears throat> to Nicolaitan. The Nicolaitans and the uh, uh, Balaamites and the Jezebelites, all were similar sins. All were spoken of and warned about in Acts chapter 2. And I, I, I mentioned this before to you. 
Actually, it's in Acts chapter 15. And this was decades earlier, where the Jerusalem Council met and they came together and they decided to put this burden on the churches, but no more. And that's what God says here in Thyatira. When he he talks about that I will place no other burden than that which I have already given. Well, what burden is he talking about? Verse 24, when he says, But I say to you, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. That's a reference, that none other burden, to Acts chapter 15, where the Jerusalem Council decided to put this burden on all the churches. In verses 28 and 29, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, the Apostle Paul, the apostles and the elders of the church, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. That's the burden, and that is what's happening here in Thyatira, and also in Pergamum, or Pergamus. That they are giving themselves over to eating food, sacrifice to idols, and to fornication. This is the burden I put on the churches, no more. I'm not going to add to that. Well, the strength of this church, let's just speak a little bit about that. For it says here, in chapter 2, no, beginning really in uh, verse 19, I know thy works, charity, service, faith, patience, and that thy works, that the last to be more than the first. So this was an expanding church. This was a growing church. This was a devotional church. This was a church that was full of love. Charity, right? Full of service to the saints. If if a saint was sick, the pastor was right there. The people were at the door. They were asking, how can we help? How can we feed you? How can we do things for you? Whatever. This church was, was beautiful. It was sweet. It was sweet fellowship among the saints at Thyatira. They loved one another. They cared. They were passionate. Unlike Ephesus, right? Remember Ephesus? They started out good. They had the best teachers in the world that ever a church had. 
They had the Apostle Paul founded them that stayed there for three years. They had the Apostle John. They had Apollos. They had Timothy. They had Tychicus. They had all these great men. And they fell in love with Jesus Christ through these wonderful ministers in Ephesus. And they were faithful. They were they disciplined. They took, would reject error. They would reject errors. They would put it out of their minds, out of the church and out of their minds. But as generations would have it, subsequent generations came and other people from outside filled the church at Ephesus. It, uh, it became routine. They still taught the doctrines that their fathers and their grandfathers were taught by the apostles and other ministers, faithful ministers. They still taught those. They still disciplined. They disciplined very much. They rejected error. They rejected errors. But they left their first love. The subsequent generations did not have the same experience, the same joy, the same love that they had for Jesus Christ through the ministers that they had, the faithful ministers that were so lovely to them. They lost that. Not lost it, they left it. They were doing the things because it was their duty, their tradition, they grew up that way, whatever. So they were doctrinally sound, but they, they were not passionate, they were not sweet. They left off being lovely. What they did, they did for another reason. Other than the love. First, the love for Jesus. Now this is a congregation that's the opposite. That they were passionate for Jesus. They were passionate for the love for each other. They loved the, to, to the meeting of church. They loved the fellowship in the church. They, they loved each other. They were helpful. But that was their strength. And they were growing, by the way. So that he says at the, uh, <clears throat> the very the last clause here in verse 19 and uh, of your works, the last to be more than the first. You're even more sweet. You're even more lovely. You're even more wonderful than when you first began. You've grown. So then what's wrong with this place? Well, verse 19. <clears throat> verse, verse 20 now. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, Jezebel brought uh, in the Old Testament, this is not the same Jezebel, obviously, uh, in the 9th in century uh, BC, uh, Jezebel was that uh, wife of Ahab and and she uh, brought into Israel, into the ten tribes, the Baal worship. Well, you know what Baal was the god of, right? Baal's the god of fertility. Get it? 
And she brought in temple prostitutes, and that, that's what they did. They had temple sex, worshiping Baal to gain his favor, his blessing for fertility, children, crops, life. Well, this is a similar one. This is what Jesus calls this woman a Jezebel. And there's no reason to doubt that this was a real woman, a, 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 a member of the church. For it says here, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess. She stood up in the congregation, in the sweet hall of worship, and she prophesied. And what did, she, what did she prophesy? To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Well, how in the world did this happen? I gave her space to repent for, of a fornication, but she, she didn't. And then the judgment, behold, uh, I will cast her on a bed. That's a play on words, perhaps, where, you know, that's what prostitutes and fornicators do. They go to bed with one another. And then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation and the great tribulation, some commentators have said that's been, you know, the, the diseases associated with that kind of lifestyle. And we see that to this day, don't we? There's all kinds of diseases associated, specifically associated with that sin. They try to escape it, they lie, uh, government lies about it, and uh, politicians lie about it, and uh, medical experts lie about it and all that stuff, but it's associated with that behavior, that kind of thing. They didn't have the medicines that we have today, so a lot of them died from these diseases that they got from these, these activities, this immorality. But how does this happen? Some say, it says in verse 18, Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, feet like brass. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I know, and then, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. Is he talking about the angel, the, the minister of the church? Or is he talking speaking to the church in general, uh, the congregation, I, I think he's speaking to the specific people that are involved in this. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophet, to teach and seduce servants. In other words, this might be the minister's wife. Herman Huxima, in his commentary, points that out. Professor Huxima, that this may be the minister's wife, who's a prophetess, who's respected, whom the congregation's going to listen to, standing up in a meeting and prophesying. Prophesying what? Oh, <laughs> see, this is why, again, you come to these things, and if you want to be true to the scripture, you have to face it. Yeah, I have to deal with it. I just don't want to deal with it, but I have to deal with it. 
What did she prophesy? What did she say? Well, as I mentioned before, the, the people at Thyatira, in order to find work, in order to work in the trades, and, the, and it was a big trade uh, city, it was very profitable, textile industry, it had metal uh, industry as well, other industries, but they all were controlled by guilds, like labor unions, but much more ferocious, these guilds. And these guilds had uh, idols that they worshipped. They worshipped Caesar, who called himself the Son of God. That's why Jesus makes this reference here in verse 18. Right? These things saith the Son of God. The only time it's mentioned in, the, in Revelation. He's given that uh, appellation. Because he's defying the statism and the, the worship, the idolatry that was in this place. He said, no, Caesar's not the son of God. I'm the son of God. The only son of God. So she, this Jezebel, this prophetess, she stands up in a meeting and she prophesizes that I had a vision. The Lord has revealed unto me that in order for you to be sanctified, to become holy, to become more more true, to, to grow in the Lord, you must expose yourself to the to the to the deepest thing of Satan. You must participate and go as far as you can, downhill, down in that direction. See what it's all about. Live there for a while. And you will appreciate, you will begin to appreciate much more how God saved you by grace. You see what's going on? If you do not want to be persecuted, and the type of persecution you're going to have is not, it's not noble. Like a martyr who stands there and is, is or, you know, he says, you don't even have to tie me up like Polygop did, and just light the flames, and I will just stand before here and praise my God, and pray to my God. That's noble. Right? I mean, you can respect that. But this kind of persecution was that, look, if you're going to work in this town, you can't get a job without being a member of the guild. And all the guilds have idols. And what they do is they meet. And you have to attend their meetings. If you don't attend their meetings, you're going to answer for it. You're going to lose your job. And at those meetings, they have meat sacrificed to idol, food sacrificed to idol, and you got to eat it. 
You, you, you can't just say, no, that's not for me. I'm going to sit in the corner and all that stuff. No, you're out. You're out of this guild. You're out of a job. You're out of the community. You are just going to go home and have your cry- children cry to you. Dad, I'm hungry. Please feed me something. But I, Jezebel, have been given a vision by God, from God, that says this, you do it. Eat of these, their meat. Sacrifice to their idols. We know they're not real. When you sacrifice to God and you call someone God, you know it's not the, the idol's not God. There's only one God. So just say it, but it, you know what you mean. They think you mean something else. But you mean the living God, the true God. And what's a little sex? Enjoy yourself. In fact, descend into it deeper so that you can appreciate what God has saved you from. In other words, sin more so that grace may abound. Right? That's elsewhere in the Bible. That's what people thought. Paul addressed it. Shall we say sin more that grace may abound? Yes. Some say yes. Jezebel saying yeah. That's exactly what she's doing. Sin deeper. Sin more. Go down to the seat of Satan itself. Listen to what what it says here. He's, He's teaching verse 20 in the middle of the verse there. To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto others. I give her space to repent. She didn't. Behold, I will cast her into the bed and those adultery with, uh, with great tribulation. Except they repent and I will kill her children unto death and all the churches and I will, <clears throat> and I will search the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And then in verse 24. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. Descend to the depths of Satan. Yeah, sacrifice to God. Yeah, commit fornication. Yeah, indulge in that, so that grace may abound, so that you would be sanctified all the more. Okay. I think I got the point across. I think you understand what's going on here. But why didn't anyone stand up, including the pastor, to say, hey, wait a minute, this is not right. Now, in Pergamon, they were doing the same thing. But in Pergamon, the the angel of the church, or the church itself, the elders of the church, were lax, they were lazy, they really didn't want to make the effort to go about and discipline for the same sins, similar sins, of the Nicolaitans and the, uh, the Baalamites. The same sins, basically the same sins. But here in Thyatira, unlike Pergamus, which was lax and lazy concerning discipline, 
they didn't even know how to disagree. They didn't know that what she was saying in this vision that she had, in this dream that she had, this teaching that she was teaching, in the assembly of the saints, they didn't realize that it was it, it was wrong. It was satanic. It was evil teaching. The church didn't realize that. Why didn't they realize that? Because, dear people, and this is where we go to the other way. We have the one in Ephesus, right, that became cold. They were doctrinal. They were uh, uh, disciplinarians. They were correct about the doctrine. You know, in every detail. But they left love. Left off love. Here, you go all the way to the other end of the podium or the platform and you fall off, right? You fall into the sin of being so sweet and so passionate and so devotional and so caring that it all becomes, religion becomes to you, Christianity becomes to you. Emotional. Subjective. Existential. And so you don't found your behaviors and your your understanding of the word of God on the word of God, but on your own passions, on your feelings, on your emotions, on your sentiments, on your fellowship, on your love. But it's not established on the word. You see, dear brothers and sisters, you need both. You need the objectivity of the doctrine, the faith, the doctrine as taught in the scripture. And you need the subjectivity, the, the passion, the, the feeling towards Jesus Christ and, and towards each other. And, and you need to keep them in balance because out of balance they will cause you to go one way or the other. And this church's sweet and lovely place was misled and brought to believe that they would actually be sanctified if they did this. By one in their midst, a prophetess, that Jesus calls Jezebel. One that is leading you to Satan. Notice, also, that God says here, <clears throat> that, uh, let's see, from verse 21, I gave her space to repent of a fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them corrupt adulterers with her into grace. In other words, God himself is going to bring disaster upon her and anyone with her. God is going to judge her because this church cannot. It doesn't it, it hasn't founded itself on the objective 
the objectivity of the Word of God, but on feeling, on emotion, dreams and visions and all that stuff. Sure, yeah, we're, she, she's a believer. She knows she's having a dream. God given a vision. Wait, wait, wait a minute. No. Prophets had visions. The apostles had visions. This is ended. God is telling you it's ended here. Jesus is saying, no, this is from Satan. It's not from me. She's seducing you. You don't understand the word of God. And so he didn't give them, like he gave the Pergamon, the discipline, the charge of discipline. He's going to do it himself. And he's going to bring disaster upon her and upon her children and uh, the, the people that follow her and uh, succumb and will not repent of this uh, practice. And why won't they repent? Well, like, like I said, man, it's not a noble kind of persecution to be ousted by the community, to be left out of a job, to be unemployed, to be on whatever system of welfare they had at that time or whatever kindness someone would give to them. Their children are hungry, they're thirsty, there are all kinds of problems in the house, they don't have enough money for anything, and they got to live like that. Or they can just be a member of the guild. Have a wonderful job. Have a good career. Be a success in the community. The community was rich. It was a rich land. It was prospering at the time. All you have to do is be a member of the guild to get a job. See how tempting that is? See what's going on here? See what Christians do? Don't they do that in this day? In order to have a job? That's going to make me have money, success, have a house, a home, cars, everything. Eh, I won't go to church. I don't I have to work every Sunday. Or, uh, you know, I have to go along, along with the crowd. I want people to like me over there. I don't want to be the one, that, the, the, the one that's sitting on the side because I, I disagree with all these people that are talking about other people and gossiping and backbiting and doing all kinds of crazy things and going to their parties, you know, like you know, like being part of the office crowd and going to the party, the office party, and drinking and, you know, having a good time. What's wrong with that? See? You don't think Christians compromise like that all the time? For money? For success? For recognition? Haven't you done that? Or your child? representative of the church in every age and these are the things that Jesus is warning the church in the age in, his, in this day and in our day be careful and don't they want people pastors and ministers to scratch their itching ears and say not talk about these things don't talk about sexuality and immorality and idolatry and you know people trying to have a good time and compromising their faith just to get along. Don't speak like that. People get upset. I know. It's upsetting to me. Now I have to say this. And to people that I don't think this way about. I hope none of you are doing this or willing to do this. But I know some have. 
not maybe here, but that have been part of this church and part of Orthodox Presbyterian churches and part of the denomination. They have done this. They have compromised themselves again and again, even after being warned. Even after being told this is no good. But, he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give the power to, over the nations. You see, the kind of persecution you're going to have if you don't go along with the in crowd, if you don't go along with the world, if you don't compromise your faith, if you simply will not do it. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be left out. You're going to be left behind in the society. But, Psalm 2. Going back to Psalm 2. And just a quote from that Psalm to show you what's going to happen to you if you listen to him, if you obey his word. He will say, say, you'll be part of this. In verse 8 in Psalm 2, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Speaking about the Son of God. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You are going to own this place. In just a little while, you are going to own this place with Jesus. As he, as he says here in verse 27, he, will sh- he shall rule them with a rod of iron, the vessels of a potter, they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. He's quoting from Psalm 2 there. I'm going to rule the nations and you along with me if you hold your peace, if you keep your distance, if you do not compromise and give yourself over. To the idols of... It's not the same kind of idols. We don't have a Caesar that says he's the son of God. Our idols are money. Mammon. Things. Technologies. Whatever. But if you don't give yourself over to these things, anxious over what to wear and and what to eat and your job and your bank account and all this stuff, your money and your success and whatever, and you want your kids to be more successful than you, and you want them to expand and grow and and all that stuff. Compromise, compromise. Do more than that. Whatever you have to do to get there. God's saying, don't. And you will be blessed with Jesus. You will own this place in just a little while. You will rule with him. I will give him, he says, finally, the morning star. I just want to point out three more things. The first is, very, very quickly, I know I've, I've been long here, but it's so, it's so wonderful. Uh, he says in verse 18 when we started, he has eyes, he's the son of God, not Caesar. I am the son of God, Jesus, and I have eyes, a flame of fire. That's representative that he sees through everything. He sees you. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows what you are doing. And he has uh, feet 
of fine brass. That is, that the brass is going to trample on those who sin against him. And he's going to trample them like, like grapes in the wine press underfoot. He see he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful, the sovereign God, the everlasting king. And if you're on his side rather than on that side, you stand to gain everything. In fact, if you are particularly tempted like the church in Thyatira was and they heard it and listened to it and did not sacrifice on to eat, eat, eat of meat and participate in their, their services in these guilds and they did not fornicate uh, with uh, their temple prostitutes and such that he says and I will give him the morning star you know what that means? Well, you know what the morning star is, the sun, right? It's the shiniest star in the night sky. It's the the star that shines the brightest out of all the other stars. And I believe, and other commentators teach, that these people that will overcome in Thyatira and like them later on are going to shine brighter in the new heaven and new earth, like a morning star. They're going to stand out because these are the people that overcame, that heard what I said and overcame. And you're going to shine brightly in the new world. Brothers and sisters, let all of us who have ears. Let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. It's amazing. It's moving. It's real. And it's serious. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would direct us all the more. We are weak. We we, we have sinned. And we have fallen short of your glory. And we admit to doing things wrong against your word. But we pray that you would be pleased to strengthen us now. That you would give us those ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And those eyes, those minds to perceive. And the strength within to walk in as new creatures. New creatures in Christ. Praise his holy name. For it's in that name we pray. Amen.